Revelation chapter 6. And let's read verses 12 through 17 together to begin. We will certainly look at them more carefully as we go. I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Let's pray. Well, Lord, we are greatly aware that we need help to understand your words, that uh, we require the ministry of your Spirit to lead us into their truth, and pray that this would be the case, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, obviously this evening, our subject matter is the contents of the sixth seal. One of the great, great challenges in dealing with the book of Revelation, and to some extent with all prophetic material, is is getting the chronology right. Um, It is relatively straightforward to know what God is going to do. he is not prone to making vague, ambiguous predictions. Uh, he tends to be very specific about the things that he is going to do in that matter. But frequently, we mortals struggle to, to make sense and to comprehend the timing. And the book of Revelation is one of those places. This much we know with a fair degree of certainty And that is pretty much everything between chapter 6 and chapter 20 is happening within a seven-year span of time. And we've touched on the fact that I think we are the best and the safest to understand the progression of judgments, the seals to the trumpets to the vials, as happening in a chronological kind of sequence. There is certainly other material added that has larger reference than just the seven-year period of time. But we would not, I would not teach it this way, I would not understand it this way, that we are simply dealing with the same information in a variety of perspectives. All of that to say, I think that by the time we are reading the sixth seal, although it is relatively early in the book of Revelation, we are very close to the three-and-a-half-year mark within that seven-year window of time, that 
the vast majority of the judgments that John describes are going to occur within that last three and a half year window uh, more than within the first three and a half year window. So, and we'll kind of, we kind of get a little bit to that uh, as we work our way through there. All right, so we began with the, with the lamb unveiling or loosening, um, unfastening, whatever specifically it is that he is doing, the first five seals. The first four have brought to us a series of world events, uh, most likely world leaders um, and their representative governments that take us from what appears to be a relatively peaceful conquest to a strong military conquest, to the absence of peace and the economic destruction of the earth. Um, Certainly this is going to take some time to unfold, right? John sees them happen in rapid fire uh, sequence, but these are events that are taking place upon the earth. So it's not unreasonable, you know, for them to involve two or using the the divisions of Revelation, three and a half years uh, to all be accomplished. The fifth seal then does not unleash a judgment, but unleashes revelation of martyrs, uh, those that we presume come out of, we argued, come out of the first three and a half year period of time. Those who stood for the Lord in the face of these ongoing world events and who paid the price with their life. And we kind of walk through whether they could possibly be, you know, martyrs from all ages, you know, martyrs from, you know, the AD 70 conquest. We just kind of touched upon those things. Um, And I would just remind us again, folks, that, you know, when the Antichrist comes, the, the illusion of secularism most certainly has to go away. He, he is the Antichrist. He will stand up in the middle of the three and a half years and proclaim himself to be the living God. So there's no, there's no mythology like the world in which we inhabit that there are such a thing as truly secular people who have no religious orientation. Um, that will be completely eradicated and will be completely evaporated. And I'm just saying that, right, because we want to understand that these people are martyrs. They, they are clearly martyred, and they are clearly martyred for religious reasons, not, not the rise of secularism and its intolerance of religion, but for people who are opposing the one who is himself opposing God. <clears throat> And that brings us then to our text this evening, uh, 12 through 17, which structurally these verses fall into two lines and then two divisions and we'll deal at a third thought at the very end. Verses 12 through 14 present to us just simply the events that happen when the seal is loosed. The lamb comes... and undoes the seal, and verses 12 through 14 are just simply an explanation of what happens when that seal is unloosed. The first one, and perhaps the one that you know has the most significance 
or contributes to all the others. Verse number 12, I beheld when he, that's the lamb, taking us back to chapter 6, verse number 1, had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And both of those words that John used have come over to us in English, right? A mega seismos. Uh, This is how we refer to earthquakes, as seismological events. And this is a mega earthquake. Earthquakes have a long history as being instruments of God's judgment. It is not uncommon, well, it is not uncommon within the pages of the Bible to find God bringing an earthquake to reinforce a point or to make a point. When Moses and the Israelites ratified the Ten Commandments, there was an earthquake. And actually the pastor in Hebrews will refer to that. Uh, <clears throat> that the ground shook. But we are, we are receiving, and our King James says unmovable, but, but literally it is an unshakable kingdom in comparison <clears throat> When Elijah was having his little intimate tete-a-tete with the Lord, there was an earthquake. The Lord brought an earthquake. Zechariah 14 predicts an earthquake that will cause people to flee, and it references the earthquake that occurred in the days of Uzziah. And there are a couple times in the Old Testament when it's just called the earthquake. Kind of the same way, folks, that we would say 9-11, right? When we say 9-11, we all know what 9-11 we're talking about. Not any old 9-11, but that specific 9-11 when the Twin Towers came down. There was an earthquake when Christ was crucified. And it appears that there are several earthquakes during the tribulation. And this is one of the things that we're just going to have to, to sort through. We're, I mean, we're, we're going to have to either kind of decide, I mean, the, the facts are the facts. I'm not saying that I have the facts right. I'm just saying the facts are the facts. Revelation presents earthquake on several occasions. It's either the same earthquake being described at various places in the book of Revelation, or what I would argue is more likely, there are a variety of earthquakes happening at that time. Right? That, that there's not just one earthquake that God is using. I think that the earthquake itself is a very real earthquake. In other words, it could be measured with the instruments that we have to, to give it a numerical value. But I don't think that we want to misgloss over the tremendous psychological impact that an earthquake can have. Um, it is literally the most stable thing that any of us know moving. Right? There's, nothing, there's nothing more secure or safe for us than to be just standing on solid ground. Right? We feel a safety on solid ground that we don't feel in the air, that we don't feel in the water, but when we're on solid ground, we're safe. And so when the Lord shakes the earth, it is not only going to be geographically 
geologically disruptive. It is going to be tremendously psychologically disruptive. It is going to remove from people one of their safest places. Um, I went back and looked, and, and I couldn't correlate it to the date. I didn't realize there had been as many earthquakes in the state of Nebraska as there have been measurable events. But this was back probably 10 or 12 years ago. You may have remembered it. I, for some reason, I remember it was a Saturday morning. In those days, we were still getting the newspaper. I got out of the porch to get the newspaper. And just that fast, I was leaning on the fence, the, uh, the post holding up the porch, going, what in the world was that? I thought I, thought I was having some kind of an illness event. And, and then there was the announcement that there had been an earthquake, I think, in Kansas and we were just feeling some of the repercussions. Very disturbing to have the very ground under your feet move. And so when the sixth seal opens, there is going to be an earthquake. Again, with all of the appurtenant physical damage that would come, buildings being destroyed, homes being destroyed, but additionally the psychological damage that the safest place known to man is no longer safe. So there's the very first event that John describes. The very first thing that happens is an earthquake. And then the second thing that happened is that the sun becomes black as sackcloth of hair, which doesn't really mean a lot to us. He's trying to describe how black it was. Um, It became as black as if you'd put up blackout curtains. How's that? Right? As, as black as if you'd put up light filtering shades or blinds. And again, I don't know that we should necessarily conclude that this is the only time this happens in the book of Revelation. Are we, again, we ask the question, because we'll, we'll see it again. Is it, is it the only time and we just keep being told about it? Or are there a succession of times in which this happens. And I don't think there's any reason not to think that this could happen more than once. The Lord was very clear at the creation, folks, that the sun and the moon and the stars were not simply to give light. They were also to be four signs, symbols of divine activity. And so if God turns out the sun... And then a year later or a year and a half later, he turns it out again. That shouldn't disrupt our understanding of the book of Revelation. Back to verse number 12. So here are the events. There there is a great earthquake. The sun becomes black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. The moon turned red. Verse number 13, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth. Is this all the stars? I don't think so. And the reason I don't think it's all the stars is because in Revelation chapter 8, there are more stars to fall. More stars will come down. Revelation 8.2, Revelation 8.10, Revelation 8.12. There will be be more than one cycle. But you read, about the, you read about the imagery, right? The stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind, or even as the apples would fall from an apple tree in a Nebraska windstorm. 
right? There was a hail of stars coming to the ground as if somebody had shaken a tree and the tree had yielded her fruit. Verse number 14, And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. The heavens will kind of roll back as if they are on springs. And I think, you say, what would happen if the heavens could actually do that? If the sky should somehow part and what is behind the sky is seen? And I think that that is exactly what men are going to see, and we will get to that. They're going to see what all men would see if, so to speak, the veil of the atmosphere was removed. But again, this is not the only time that we are told this, and in fact it is not at all the last time that it will happen in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 11, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Verse Revelation 21.1, I saw a new heaven, new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. So again, this is an event. It is an event that can be repeated. It is not, right? It is not an irreversible event. So I don't think that we should think of it as it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen and then it's just going to remain like that. But it's going to happen, and what God wants to happen as a result of that is going to happen, and then quite possibly it will close back up. And then there is one more reference. Right? So we have this great earthquake. The sun becomes black. The moon becomes red. The stars of heaven fall. The heavens depart as a scroll, and the mountains and the islands are moved out of their place. Verse number 14, the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. Now here's here's a place, and I'm just going to introduce it tonight because we're going to talk a little bit more about it Sunday night. We have in our Bibles there the word every. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with the word every. I'm not suggesting for a moment that there is. It's the translation of a Greek word that we frequently find translated with the little word all. And one of the things that we must always do when we encounter that word is look at everything that is going on around it and ask whether it means every as in every single individual or whether it means every in the sense of the vast majority or a lot. And it can be used either way without, without doing any injustice to the, to the meaning and the definition of the word. In this case, right, the question that we ask is this. Is John described, like, like we would say, right? If you go out, for instance, on the Friday after Thanksgiving, if you go shopping, right, and you, and you get to your shopping destination, you may say to somebody, everybody and their brother is out today. Do you literally mean every human being on the planet and their brother is out today? Or is that just a way of referring to a large body of people? Does this mean that every single individual mountain and island were moved? Well, there's no reason to think that it doesn't. There's no reason to think that it doesn't. 
as a consequence, I think, folks, what we have, right, is that with, within the framework of this earthquake, right, we have a mega earthquake. What are going to be, what's going to be part of the consequence of that earthquake? Well, earthquakes are physical events. And this earthquake is going to be of such magnitude that it is literally going to move the, the mountains and the islands. It's going to dislodge them. And you have all of these other things that are going <clears throat> with them. So, so I think, right, because one of the things we're trying always to remember is that John is having a vision. Somebody, somebody put it this way. I personally found this very helpful. They said, John is being given a vision. He is trying to describe with words things that cannot be described in words. And so... John sees all of these things. But if we take it as a package and we just think about what's going on, a great earthquake, the sun and moon and the stars literally altered, the atmosphere unfolding, the mountains and the islands being moved. We have, folks, a symbol, right? A real event in which it appears that the entire universe is coming apart at the seams. Right? This is, this is not <clears throat> the kind of thing that scientists are always talking about in the world of either evolutionary development or climate change cataclysm that eventually over the course of time enough bad things are going to lump together and things are going to start to fall apart slowly or given enough time, things are going to start to develop and progress slowly we have in virtually one spontaneous event the appearance of the entire universe coming apart. Everything that we can relate to, everything that we are oriented to almost without thinking, <clears throat> the sun, the stars, the sky, the ground, it is all unraveling. These are the events <clears throat> These are the events. And verses 12 through 14 then just simply walks us through the events. And again, I think, right, I wouldn't die on this, but I think the way it's structured with the beginning being an earthquake and the end, the conclusion being clearly the consequences of an earthquake, mountains and islands being moved, that all of these things are in one way or another connected to this massive earthquake. It's not unfolding over a slow procession of time, but it is happening, happening very quickly. And that brings us then in verses 15 to 17 to the interpretation of those events. And this, quite honestly, folks, is, is where we should understand the real weight is. Right? Here is, here is what's really noteworthy Right? I mean, I'm not saying that everything in verses 12, 13, and 14 isn't stupendous. But these are things that God can do, the things that God has done, that we've read about in the Bible. We've read about earthquakes. We know the sun can stand still. We've never really seen the sky rolled back. But these kinds of natural, what we might call natural disasters, we can find in the pages of Scripture. And they just, they don't really surprise us. It's God and it's his world. The surprise really is in verses 15 
16 and 17, John begins by giving us a very heavily distorted demographic. I don't know that he would think of it that way. But he's giving us a very heavily distorted demographic. And the kings of the earth, right? This is where he begins. With kings of the earth. These are men with governing power. These These are presidents, and these are prime ministers, and these are actual kings. These are dictators. These are the heads of communist parties, the kings of the earth. And the great men. These are men that we might consider magnets. And I don't mean M-A-G-N-A-T-E-S, magnates. These These are going to be men like Bill Gates, like Elon Musk. These are going to be powerful men, not political men, but they're going to be powerful men, the great men of the earth, influencers. And the rich men, these are going to be men with monetary influence. And there are lots of rich men and women who want to keep their identity relatively anonymous. They don't want to, they don't want to join the ranks of the great men, the prominent men. But they will wield their money. So we have the kings and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains. Influential military men. Chiefs, right? Chiefs of staff. Military chiefs of staff. Joint chiefs of staff. Two-star generals. Three-star generals. Four-star generals. Admirals. Great men. And mighty men, and the mighty men, brave warriors, soldiers, guys who train in facing danger, whose world is preparing for disastrous events, for preparing for dangerous situations, heroes. And finally, finally, every bondman and every free man. And there we are again. All bondmen and all freemen. And again, I think the context is pretty clear. This is going to be pretty much everybody. You see how you see how weighted the demographic is? All the free people, all the slaves. But anybody who might be anybody, let's talk about them as a category. Let's talk about the soldiers. And folks, one of the things that's going to characterize the seven years of the tribulation is constant, ongoing military conflict. Soldiers will matter in those days. And their leaders will matter. And the men who fund them will matter. And the politicians who are making decisions will matter. And the men who are providing the technological wherewithal to wage the battles will matter. And those men all get mentioned by category. Now one of the th- reasons that it's, it's possible, right, that, that John does this is to tie us back to what we saw in Revelation 6, 5, and 6. We kind of talked about that. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, I saw a black horse, he that stand in a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny. See thou hurt not the oil and the wine. We, we talked about the fact that one of the generally recognized acceptable consensuses, consensus among 
students of this is that we talk about the devastating impact upon the working man and the relative in immunity of the upper classes with the things that are going on economically in the world at that time. And it's possible that because John is understanding that this way, that he is now turning his attention to those people, to people who, for the most part, because of their power, because of their money, because of their politics, have been players in the world, but not necessarily victims of everything that's gone on during the tribulation. And folks, one of the things that we would argue passionately is that the tribulation is happening right here on this planet as we know it, among people just like us. They're living out their lives in that world. So it's not just a fantasy being described. It is, for those who live through it, a reality. And again, without spending a lot of time on this, historically... Wars have provided tremendous wealth for some classes of society. George Washington absolutely lamented the way that people were profiting from the American Revolution. Right? Armies need uniforms, and they need shoes, and they need weapons, and they need ammunition. And the people who provide those things tend to do it at a very tidy profit. Ulysses Grant in the Civil War banned his own father, who was kind of a traveling merchant that time, from having contact with the Union Army because of his shoddy business practices. So there are going to be some people, folks, who in in this crisis of this magnitude are going to be making for themselves considerable sums of money. Now the tables are turned. Now the tables are turned, right? Verse number 15, the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, the mighty men, every bondman, every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who shall be able to stand? So the really shocking part of the sixth seal, folks, is that finally, at long last, unbelieving men recognize what is actually going on. Again, I'm just going to tell you this right. We just have right. Think of all the ways you are listening to COVID being interpreted. All of the ways. Not just the ways that you would accept. Think of all the ways that COVID is being interpreted. It's a pandemic. It's a political scam. It's a power grab. It's a money maker. Who's getting rich off of it? We always want to know that, right? Who's getting rich off of it? Who's getting sick from it? What if it was possible, folks? What if, what if for one hour's time, God just pulled back the curtain of heaven and we could see exactly what his role in it was? And not just us, because these are not believing people. These are, for the most part, almost beyond any shadow of a doubt, 
overwhelmingly unbelieving people. But now they can explain exactly what's going on and it's not a natural phenomenon and it's not a natural disaster and we're no longer going to use the media to spin it to make our story known. We are just every one of us from the greatest men to the lowest man, we are going to make a beeline for hiding because we know what's in store. The great day of his wrath has come. And who shall be able to stand? Now, folks, you have to remember something here, right? That we read these verses as believers. In other words, we would argue How dumb do you have to be to think that you could hide from God by hiding under a rock? But these are unbelievers. And one of the things, folks, that will characterize unbelievers in the book of Revelation is, on the one hand, their full awareness of who they're dealing with, and on the other hand, their absolute unwillingness to repent of their sins. In fact, there's a place where John says specifically that God just kept hammering in them, but they would not repent. They would not repent of their sorceries, right? They, they have, in effect, seen the face of God. Nope, I still believe in witchcraft. They have seen the face of God. No, I still want my fornication. This is what lost people are really like. This is what lost people are really like. It is a very unflattering picture, but it is the picture that God paints for us. These unbelievers know. They know at long last. And this is one of the reasons, okay? And so we're going to, right? So so this is the way that these verses, the sixth seal unfolds, right? 12, 13, 14, what happens? 15, 16, 17 how it is interpreted by those who were there at the time. Verses 15, 16, and 17, folks, is almost like watching the nightly news in advance. This is how it's going to be reported. The great day of the wrath has come. We better go into hiding. Who is able to stand? And by the way, the answer to that, the the answer to that question is taken up in chapter 7. We will get to that, Lord willing, next week. Right? Which brings me to the, to the third thing and really kind of conclusion. Where, where are we chronologically in the tribulation? I really think that we are right very close to, if not in the middle, right? the three and a half year point, that period of time that we tend to call the great tribulation, the great day of his wrath has come. It has taken some time for the first four seals to become fully functional or for their consequences to be filtered across the entire globe. And that has been accompanied by Christianity and people being persecuted for their faith. And now at this point in time, wherever it is, right, God makes known to the world what is going on. All natural explanations have now been, have now been swept away. Right? There's, there, there, is, there is no longer a natural explanation for the four horses. Right? This is simply the work of God. The great day of his wrath has come. So, so finally, at this point in time in the tribulation, it dawns on men what is going on, which brings us to the interesting 
fact of their unwillingness to repent in spite of the fact that they know exactly what is going on. But as we know on a regular basis, folks, right, Christianity is more than an intellectual exercise. It's not just simply gathering enough facts, persuading somebody that our facts outweigh their facts, and so therefore logically you have to come. It's just not what we're doing. That's, that's not how we got saved. That's not how people get saved. That's not what's going on. It is, it is not simply an intellectual exercise. Okay, we're gonna, I'm gonna, that's, so that's going to that's gonna be our conclusion tonight. If you want to 